peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 5, 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Man, what a wonderful time of worship. And uh, that song has been messing me up so far. It's good to magnify the Lord with, with you all. Amen. Well, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to just dive into the Word, to be here with your people. Thank you for this beautiful, beautiful uh, sermon that Jesus preached, the most beautiful sermon to ever be preached, the sermon that has um, people throughout church history lauding it as the most important words and work, both Christian and non-Christian. And I pray, Father, that you would allow it to impact us as a church, that we would be able to, to just find life in Jesus' words to correctly see. I pray that you would just revive our hearts and give us you. I pray, Father God, that you will wake us up to all that you have for us as a church, individually and collectively. I pray, Lord, that you would just set this city on fire for Jesus. Help us, Father God to long for, to participate in, to expect great things in this upside-down kingdom. Pray that you would take me, this feeble man who comes before you, a longing to see your kingdom come. I pray that you would take me for the next 30 minutes and allow your Holy Spirit to fill me up and allow your Holy Spirit to fill up your, the members of this body so that we, Father God, can can leave this place closer to Jesus. Not for our own glory, but for you. Lord, would you magnify yourself? Would you glorify yourself? Would you, would you do something that, that I can't do? In Christ's name, amen. So reading a book called Reflect by Thaddeus J. Williams. And in the beginning of his book, he uh, takes the reader right away through an exercise uh, to use for them to use their imagination. I want to do something similar to that with you and uh, invite you to imagine with me uh, that you are being es escorted uh, to an underground laboratory, right? 
and a friend of yours is taking you to this underground laboratory to tell you about this new technology that's absolutely amazing. So you go with them, and it looks a, a little shady until you get to the bottom, and it's just this amazing technology. And you see this weird-looking cube, but it's pristine and it's clean, and he tells you, she tells you to go into it. You go into it because you trust this friend. And you step into this laboratory, and all of a sudden, the room kind of splits in half, and there's this kind of glass mirror television type of thing that appears. And all of a sudden, the lights go out, and a screen comes on. And on this screen, for the next few minutes, all of your most memorable moments pass before you. The times in which you laughed yourself just sick, the times in which you enjoyed your best meals, the times in which you cried your eyes out for joy, as well as some of the, the harder things in life, they all flash before you. All of a sudden, you're in this human experience when you're just kind of filling your story, realizing your story, realizing where you've been brought from. And then suddenly, the screen turns off, and then what turns on is everything that you value. The people you value, the purchases you value, the things you value, the things you read, everything that you love, everything that's centered to you, everything that's important to you, it just comes on the screen. And then all of a sudden the screen kind of seamlessly, as you're caught up in this emotive moment, disappears. And as it's decreasing, you see a person who looks just like you. But it looks like maybe the 10-year version of you, 10 years later. It's a bit older. And you realize that person doesn't just look like you, that person is you. What do you see? What does the 10-year-later version of you look like? What's your strengths? What's your flaws? What's your habits? What's your fears? You see it all on the person of this person. And the question I want you to ask yourself right now as you imagine that scene is, are you flourishing 10 years from now? If the things that came on that screen was the things that you value most now, the recesses of your hearts, the thing that you imagine most, the things that you love most, the things that people may not even know, like, who are you? Are you happy? Are you blessed? Do you have a big soul? Or are you angry, burnt out, bitter? What Jesus is going to do here in the Sermon on the Mount is he's going to completely, over the next few weeks, as we preach together and, and listen together, prayerfully reorient our values. He's going to give us a, a picture of what human flourishing truly looks like, a picture of the way of the kingdom of God, a picture of what it means to love God with our heart, mind, and soul. And he's going to do this through words, through the sermon. He's going to kind of open up our hearts and show us what it means to truly flourish so that we as his disciples can become whom he has called us to become. But who we are, 
Make no mistake about it, is a result of what we value and our habits and our worldview. So Jesus, the Bible says in verse 1, is with a large amount of crowds, and he goes up to a mountain, he sits down, and notice what it says. It says his disciples came to him, and he began to teach to them, saying. Now the question is, who are his disciples? Up to this point in Matthew, we really only have met four people who have the name disciples. And that's what we looked at last week. These people who were fishermen whom Jesus came and challenged, who Jesus spoke to with authority, and they left everything they had and they followed him. But not only is his disciples these four, we don't get the full 12 to later on in Matthew. These disciples are also another group of people. And this is important for us to understand this sermon. The sermon series and today's sermon. If we don't get this, we don't, we don't get the Sermon on the Mount. The people that Jesus calls his disciples here in this text are the people that Matthew just introduced us to. The people whom Jesus, whom Matthew is referring to as his disciples, what is a disciple? A disciple is a person who is following Jesus. A person who is following Jesus, who is being made to look more like Jesus, and who is learning to live on mission form. The people who are considered disciples are the people who we see in chapter 4, verse 23 through 25. Jesus, the Bible says, went teaching into synagogues and preaching into uh, an area of Galilee that was forgotten about, that was oppressed, that was uh, not impressive. They were kind of the rejects of society, ragamuffins, the people who are at, on this mountain with Jesus listening to him teach are uh, kind of the, the land of the misfit toys. <laughs> they are people who have just been healed from all kinds of diseases and all kinds of sicknesses. They are people who were described as afflicted, who had intense pains, who were demon-possessed, who were epileptics, who are paralytics. These people are getting word that this Messiah, that this rabbi is teaching this this incredibly different teaching, that he's saying that God's kingdom, God's promised kingdom, that they know all about as Jewish people, that God promised all throughout the Old Testament has invaded the earth, that it is near, that the king is here, and they are following him. And many of them have just had their eyes open. Their lives have completely been turned around. Could you imagine being blind and all of a sudden you see? Could you imagine being poor and all of a sudden you feel valued? These are these people. And Jesus sits down on a mountain, gathers these people together, just like Moses did with Israel when they were delivered out of Egypt, completely disoriented, completely broken, completely traumatized. God takes this group of people out of bondage and says, you are now my people. He pronounces blessings over them. He tells them what life in his kingdom is going to look like. Jesus is now the new and better Moses. And he has these disciples on the mountain. And he is going to teach them what it means to truly, to truly be blessed. Now, the context of this entire series and what he's preaching It's important to know that this is, I want you to read this as wisdom literature. Like Jesus is dropping wisdom. He is a sage. 
He's a sage that is given kingdom principles and is very reminiscent of a sage in the Old Testament. It's very reminiscent of some of the Psalms we read. It's very reminiscent of the Proverbs we read. For example, Psalm 1. The psalmist starts the Psalter by blessing, by showing a picture of two ways to live. Those who are blessed and those who are foolish. He says, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by streams of living water which yield its fruit in its season, and his leaves will not wither. In all that he does, he will prosper. This is, this is the Psalter. This is Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in all of, uh, of the psalms, starts with blessings. But what is he doing? You continue to read Psalm 1, you see... Uh, a contrast in verse 4, but the wicked are not so. This is what Jesus is doing with the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying there's two ways to live. There's a kingdom way of living, the kingdom of God's way, and he is discipling people. He is teaching people the kingdom's way, or it's a foolish way. In fact, that's why he ends uh, the Sermon on the Mount this way. Psalm, uh, Matthew chapter 7. He says this, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the river rose, and the winds blew and pounded the house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on a rock. And then he goes on to contrast that with a foolish man who built his house on sand. The winds came, the rains came, and it all fell apart. Jesus is saying, listen, the way of the kingdom is the way to true flourishing. The way of the kingdom is the way to true life. It is, when he says bless, this, this Latin word, this Greek word that we get translated into bless, is, it means fortunate, happy. I think the best rendering translation is flourishing. Flourishing are those who are poor in spirit. Flourishing are those who mourn. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now here's the thing. The way into the kingdom is not, uh, he's not saying you are, you are blessed or you enter into the kingdom because you, are, uh, you have made yourself this way. No, those who are flourishing are those who have received the kingdom of God by grace. And as a result of this new life, as a result of grabbing hold to this new savior, just like these people grabbed hold to, as a result to listening to the sage's words and seeking his face, they flourish. Psalm 1, a tree planted by streams of living water will yield its fruit in its season. A person that abides in Christ will bear fruit. Jesus here is pronouncing blessings on a people who are like us are used to hearing something else. In American society, the things that we hear of those who are happy, those who are fortunate, those who are blessed, are not the things we see in this, in this text. Jesus is given a new volume system. He's saying those who are part of the kingdom are those who understand that the door to the kingdom is low and cross-shaped. The door to the kingdom of God is low and cross-shaped. 
The people who have entered into the kingdom of God, they entered into the kingdom of God because they realized that they were spiritually bankrupt, because they saw themselves as sinners, because as a result of the Holy Spirit, they had a hunger and thirst for righteousness because they saw that God has had mercy upon them and given them a chance to repent. And so let's talk about that real quick. Three things I want to show you really quickly in this text. So stay with me. Put your seatbelt on. Touch your neighbor say, put your seatbelt on. All right. First is this. Is those who flourish must face reality. Those who flourish must face reality. And here is the reality. It is that Jesus' kingdom is upside down. <laughs> and number two is that what we value and put our value in is who we become. What we value and who we put our value in is who we, who we become. John Stott says that the kingdom is given to the poor, not to the rich, to the feeble, not to the mighty, to the little children, humble enough to accept it. And that's what we see with each of these. I'm going to fly through these real quick to kind of just give us a, a picture of what Jesus is doing. He says, blessed, happy, flourishing are you. And I don't think he's trying to tell this crowd to do something. A lot of times when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we walk away like they're the Ten Commandments. This is not an invitation to do. It's an invitation to, to be. It's, a, it's, it's, it's Jesus saying, hey, actually, I believe what he's doing to this crowd. He's saying, the Pharisees, the religious teachers, they're putting this law upon you. They're putting this external religion upon you that is separate from an internal change upon you. They're telling you that to be blessed is to wear these robes, to have these bells, to be in this social class. I'm telling you that those of you who have left everything and followed me, you are the ones who are flourishing. Many of them were physically poor. That's why he says the poor in spirit. And those who normally, not all the time, sometimes people are poor and in poverty because of their own pride. But what Jesus is saying, if there's a connection between people who are completely depleted and people who are spiritually depleted, because a person who is completely depleted is a person who has come to the end of themselves and realized that they need outside help. And he's saying the person who flourishes in God's kingdom, they are flourishing because they realize that they are spiritually bankrupt. They realize, as the hymn says, helpless I look to thee for grace, naked come to thee for thy dress. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's the that's spirit of, of being poor in spirit, right? Lord, I don't have anything to, to bring, only to the cross I cling. And then he goes on to say, blessed is the person who mourns, for they, are, they will be comforted. I mean, almost a literal translation is, blessed are the unhappy, for they will be happy. That's a paradox. It's a holy oxymoron. It doesn't make sense to the world. And honestly, it doesn't make sense to us. But Jesus is saying that those who find themselves constantly mourning, those who find themselves constantly broken, are those who actually flourish in the kingdom of God. And all of these are kind of co are connected. You can't understand one without the other. The poor in spirit, the person who understands they have nothing to offer to God for their own salvation, that God is the one who saves them, that God is the one who changes them, that God is the one who renews them, is a person who finds themselves weeping and mourning, but they're also a person who is, is finding themselves humble. 
Humility is the value of the kingdom. Those who are humble are those who are exalt, will be exalted. Those who are already exalted and prideful are those who will be humble. You know, um, you guys probably already know who the most humble person in the world is, right? Muhammad Ali, of course, right? And the story is so <laughs> of Muhammad Ali that uh, he, was, he was flying. And you guys probably know this story. It's just hilarious. And I just feel like I had to share it right now. So bear with me. So Muhammad Ali is on a, pl- on a flight and a stewardess comes up to him. He says, she says, hey, um, sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. And he just doesn't respond. And she comes back, sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. He doesn't respond. She comes back like three other times. And finally, she just waits and looks at him and I, sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. To which he responds and he says, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. To which she responded and said, Superman doesn't need a plane. (laughs) Sad to share that. And so the way of the kingdom is us all realizing that we are, we're not Superman. (laughs) And humility is not thinking uh, less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is is low and it's cross-shaped. He's saying that those who are in the kingdom are those who realize that it's not about them. Those who are flourishing in the kingdom are those who are merciful. It's a picture of of Joseph who has every reason to put Mary out for her sinfulness or what appears to be her sinfulness, right? Um, As she's pregnant, she's with child, and he hasn't slept with her and they're engaged. He has every reason to, like, put her out, and instead he he decides in his heart to put her away silently. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. So throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to hear this word. Uh, we're going to see this word heart, right? And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the uh, control center of every human being. It's the sum of who we are. It's our emotions. It's our will. It's our thoughts. It's who we are. He says, blessed is the person at their very core who are pure, They're seeking to live lives of purity. When you peel back the layers of their heart, it's not bitterness and uh, selfish political gain. Blessed are uh, the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are constantly seeking to be in right relationship with others, constantly seeking to make things right. Blessed are those who, when they are persecuted because of righteousness, uh, that's, that's another blessing, those who are being persecuted because they're doing what's right. Verse 11, blessed are you when you are insulted and blessed are, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you. So Jesus is flipping uh, the world's standards upside down. He's, I think he's actually congratulating the people that's before him for following him, for embracing this kingdom lifestyle, this holy oxymoron. And he's saying, yo, don't, don't value what your spiritual leaders are valuing. Continue to remain humble and grateful for what I've done for you. Remember that you were blind and now you see, that you were lost and now you're found. But it's not just like, sometimes we can, I think, overly spiritualize things um, and make it only about our relationship with God. I think while we look at each of these and we can say there's this, this spiritual, this vertical relationship, that the person who Jesus is congratulating is also a person who is pursuing right relationship with people. 
So, for example, if you take blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, sometimes we can be like, yes, that's the person who's reading their Bible, who's fasting, who's praying, who goes to church. Like, and certainly pursuing God is important, and that does show a hunger and thirst for righteousness. But this is where righteousness can also be translated as justice. It's a person who is concerned about people who were on the mountain, who were oppressed, who didn't have a social system that helped feed them, um, who were often taken advantage of by the rich. John Stott says this, It will be a mistake to suppose, however, that the biblical word righteousness means only a right relationship with God on the one hand and more righteousness of character and conduct on the other. For biblical righteousness is more than a private and personal affair. And as Americans and and Westerners and those who are in our Christian circles, we focus so much on this private and personal relationship that I'm just going to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's It's really sad. We don't mourn. We don't grieve at the things that are happening to people in this country and people throughout the world who are marginalized and taken advantage for. We don't. Or if we do, it's just for a quick second. And and Jesus' invitation is for us to hunger and thirst for, yes, for the Lord, but also for people who are oppressed, overlooked, systemically marginalized to hunger and thirst for a world in which things will be made right. Continue his quote. It includes social righteousness as well. And social righteousness, as we learn from the law and the prophets, is concerned with seeking man's liberation from oppression. Together with the promotion of civil rights, justice, and law, integrity and business dealings, and honor and home and family affair, thus Christians are committed to hunger for righteousness in the whole of the human community as something pleasing to a righteous God. I read this this week, and uh, I was sitting on the couch, my couch one evening, and just sitting in this. And for a couple days, I almost just couldn't, was almost paralyzed with moving forward as I just thought about the implications of Jesus' words. And what Jesus has done here, Jesus has brought the broken to this mountain. He pronounces blessings on them. And he says, you all are the ones who are closest to the kingdom. You all are the ones who are poor in spirit. You all get it. Don't embrace the world's value system. Stay right where you are. And I begin to think about my own heart and my own life and how sometimes the comfort of life and the the, the distractions of the world can cause me not to mourn and not to be broken in this way. And here's the good news. What Jesus is doing is not announcing 10 new commandments. I really believe on that couch, on on that evening, that Jesus' invitation to me and Jesus' invitation to you today, and here's what I want you to hear me to say. This is why the next two points, we're not going to, we're just going to kind of fly through them. Jesus' invitation for you today is to look to him to see how beautiful he is. That Jesus is the ultimate blessed one. He is the one who consistently and perfectly embodies each of these virtues. 
And my only hope in growing in holiness, my only hope in mourning, my only hope in being poor in spirit, my only hope in hungering and thirsting after righteousness is to constantly be his disciple, to sit at his feet, to marvel at him, to marvel at how poor in spirit he was. The God of this universe left heaven in comfort and he became human. He put on human clothing. One theologian said that Jesus becoming a man is like a man becoming a cockroach. He's holy. He's perfect. He limits himself to space and time to betrayal. Walks the dusty streets of Jerusalem. And he is so humble. And he mourns. He weeps over Chorazin. He weeps over Jerusalem. He, he weeps over Lazarus' death. He, he weeps with prostitutes and, and tax collectors. He, he weeps with those who are marginalized and without. He weeps. And he gives and he gives and he gives more of himself. And every time you think he's at an end of himself, he goes a little farther all the way up Golgotha's hill and he allows himself to be crucified for me and you. And God's invitation for us today is to see that his kingdom is upside down, that his ways are not our ways, that he feels deeply for the people that we often overlook for the news headlines and stories that we just simply read over with no emotional impact, that his heart is crying out for them. And he invites us into his life, into his suffering. And he invites us to mourn and to weep and to be broken. He invites us to see with his eyes and to feel like he felt. He invites us to enter into the brokenness, not as saviors, but as people who long to see his kingdom come. And he invites me to do that not from a place of condemnation, guilt, or shame, but from a place of realizing that in him I am perfectly blessed and perfectly loved. And the invitation is an invitation to experience true life. That those who live are those who are dying to themselves daily. But here's the risk. The risk is this. The world system is not our system. And what the world values is not what we value. And as kingdom citizens, we will, if we truly pursue Jesus, if we truly slow down to see him in the scriptures, not just to read to say we read, but to slow down, to see what is happening, to smell what he smelled, to feel what he felt, to be burdened by what he's burdened with, is we will not fit in. And he may ask of us things that make us uncomfortable. He may ask from us things that, that dislocate us from the political right and left. He may ask of us from things that dislocate us from our family. He may ask from us, he will ask from us things that make us seem weird and obsessive. Joshua Harris, I kind of borrowed this and, and, and tweaked it a little bit, once wrote this, called it the inverse Beatitudes. This is the worldly values. Uh, the Beatitudes is the worldly values kind of flipped upside down. And this is what the world will say. Blessed are the self-confident because they will rule the world. Blessed are the positive thinkers because they don't need anybody's comfort. 
Blessed are the arrogant and the assertive because they get what they want. Blessed are those who hunger for fame because they get reality TV shows. Blessed are the vengeful because they get respect. Blessed are the impure pleasure seekers because they see a good time. Blessed are those who beat their opponents because the victors write the history books. Blessed are the popular because everyone loves them. And the kingdom of God is upside down. And Jesus invited his disciples over and over, those who were following him and learning to be with him and be like him. He was constantly telling them. He says this in Luke. He says, woe, not blessings, woe to you who are thought of well by all men. The risk is persecution. That's what we see in this text. Those who live this way will be persecuted for righteousness' sakes. Those who live this way will have all manner of things said against them. Those who live this way may have evil things done to them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just before, he passed, just before he was murdered under the Nazi regiment, as he was imprisoned and threatened, he wrote this about suffering. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. That is why Luther reckoned to suffer among the marks of the true church. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of grace. What Jesus wants to form in you and me, I don't, suffering is not something I wake up and just say, yes, I'm so blessed I'm suffering. It's, and honestly, if you do that, it, it's a bit weird. <laughs> but it is something that as we can, sit with Jesus as we think about his life as we read the scriptures we see it is promised to happen to those who are faithful to those who make themselves low and who understand that the kingdom of heaven is low and cross-shaped got that imagery from a, a friend and pastor Jonathan Pennington uh, those who who see that the kingdom of heaven is low and cross-shaped um, are, are those who will suffer it's just a matter of time and God has called us to embrace our identity in Christ, not to be that person who stands, whoever they stand in front of, they conform to and try to make comfortable. And some of us, we do that. Oh, I'm going to go to the coffee shop to read, but I'm not going to take my Bible. I'll take my phone because I don't want to seem weird. Or I know this person is lost, but I'm just going to keep building a bridge with them. Um, and I'll just keep trying to love them and maybe they'll get it. No, we build bridges to send something across it. Sooner or later, you have to look that person in the face, in their face and tell them the truth. My friend, I love you enough to let you know you are headed towards destruction. Jesus offers you life. For some of you all, you feel this in the marketplace. It's really hard in our society to go to work and to advance in our careers without taking upon the value system of the world. It's really hard in our society to not get political, to kind of try to make things happen, to do a little smudging of someone else's reputation, to, to try to take credit, more credit than we should take, to be humble. Because if we do, we'll be overlooked or we'll be laughed at. Like, like meekness is seen as weakness in the world's system, but in, in Christ's system, meekness is not weakness. It's beautiful, it's controlled strength. It's what he modeled before Pilate. 
is what he modeled before the soldiers who were seeking to crucify him. It's what he models every day with you and me when we, when we sin against him. Finally, put on your seatbelt. It's really quick. Those who flourish are those who will be rewarded. In this text, we see this promise, the poor in spirit, that theirs is the kingdom. That's present tense. He says that twice. Yours is the kingdom right now. Remember, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. But the kingdom is also to come. The kingdom. We're part of a new kingdom. Jesus is saying, everything that I have in this kingdom as king, you have in this kingdom because you are my brothers and sisters. Because I died for you and your righteousness is found in me. All the spiritual blessings that one can have, if you are in Christ, you have it. When you mourn, when you grieve, when you're broken, when you're frustrated with a righteous frustration, it's a promise that kingdom citizens will be comforted. When you choose the low road instead of the high road, God reminds you, don't trip. Don't worry about missing that promotion because you did what was right because you will inherit the whole earth. One day you will walk this earth as a king and a queen. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, don't worry. It's just a matter of time before I fill you up, before I satisfy that quench. When you find yourself showing mercy, know that you will be shown mercy. When you are desiring and doing everything you can to kill sin, to be pure in heart, to treat people the right way, know that I will bless you by allowing you to see me. And that's not physically see him, but to experience him in ways that fill us up. That is worth more than gold, more than what the world can receive. And we know this because we know that some of the most miserable people in the world are the people who have the most. Some of the happiest people in the world are the people that we look at who are impoverished. And it's because they're finding their happiness not in the identity of things. They're finding it many times in in Christ. And so these blessings are coming. These rewards are coming. I want to show you a shocking verse, and we'll close here. Mark 10, 28 through 31. Jesus is talking to the disciples. They've now been following him for a while. Like Peter's trying, y'all. He's trying. They're getting beat up. A little bit. He's realizing how countercultural uh, following Jesus is, how inverse the kingdom is. And here's what he says to Jesus. He says, Lord, we left everything and we followed you. He's probably just sitting there like, wait a minute, I left my business. I left everything. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecution and eternal life and the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus says those who, who leave Everything are those who both now and in the future will be filled. And some of you today are holding on to Christ by a thread. 
because of the strife that happens in your family, because of the strife that happens on your career, in your career, because of the, 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 the internal strife of, of constantly finding yourself mourning or sad, feeling like other people don't get it. You find yourself in this habitual state of brokenness. I actually want to encourage you to go deeper into that. I, I want to say embrace it. That is the way of the kingdom. Rather than allow that to discourage you and to say, I give up on this, allow that to take you deeper to experience what Christ is experiencing and to hear him say, actually, you are flourishing. Keep going. And for others, I want to point you to Revelation chapter 3, to the church of Laodicea, who Jesus rebukes. He says, you are rich and you are full. He says, in your mind, you're rich and you're full. These are Christians. He said, I wish that you were poor and empty. Because when you think that you are rich and full, when you are comfortable, you are lukewarm. He says, I'd rather you either be hot, be on fire for me, or not know me at all. And God's invitation for you is for you to take time to look to Jesus, to come back to your first love, and to believe his words. What profits a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And then marvel. Marvel at the one who's poor in spirit. Marvel at the one who mourns. Marvel at the one who's sitting on the right-hand side of the Father interceding for you. And who, even though you and I miss the mark, sings over you every morning and says, my grace and my mercy is new for you. And every Sunday when we gather together, we take a meal that reminds us of Christ's poverty. The one who mourned as his body was broken and who cried out to God the Father as his blood was shed. The one who on the cross yelled out, I thirst, who was treated as a peasant and not as a king. We take this meal, we dip bread and juice of wine, and we take it to be refreshed and encouraged and to identify with Christ. If you're not a Christian, please don't take this meal, but I want you to hear this. You know it's true. Look at advertisement. Look into your own heart and your own soul. You know that nothing is satisfying you. St. Augustine, the African theologian, said that our heart has a God-sized hole. Everything we try to fill our heart with other than Jesus Christ just rattles around and it doesn't satisfy. And we try to find satisfaction in, in other things. Your heart was made to know and to be known by Jesus. In him, there is a love that is so real and so intense. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one who can give you a peace that passeth all understanding. He is merciful. Run to him. Run to him and find mercy. Run to him. Those of you who are at the front, you can come to the front. Those of you in the back can go to the back. Gluten-free and alcohol-free communion is to my left. Come and receive this meal. Salvation is by grace through faith.